back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping it sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosnanski. Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, it's time for Keeping It Sports with M3, powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Good afternoon, everyone. Hope everything's going well for you here on this Monday, the seventh day of February. Hope you're, you know, all continuing to bear the brunt of uh, winter as, you know, the groundhog, uh, if you believe in that stuff, told us that we will have, was it, six more weeks of this uh, nonsense? I mean, we were going to have it anyway, but, you know, tradition is tradition. You know, yesterday, I don't know if uh, you think like this like me, but yesterday was a very weird day. You know, first off, I hope you all had a great uh, weekend, great week. But yesterday was very weird for yours truly because it was the first time, and, you know, we deal with this every year, but it was the first time since September 5th Sunday, September 5th, where I'm sitting there on a Sunday afternoon and I'm like, what the hell do I do? There's no football on. And please, don't get me started with the NFL Pro Bowl. What I didn't I didn't flip on a second of the game coverage. I, I watched a little bit of the you know Monday night football crew do the pregame show for that. After that I, I checked out and thank God I did because from what I hear, it turned into a a game of two-hand touch. But, you know, the, there was nothing uh, to do. There was no real football, excuse me, on. Uh, other than watching my Brooklyn Nets have another disastrous performance, losing their eighth straight game, I was really unsure wh- how to spend my Sunday afternoon, but... That's what we have to deal with on the Sunday in between uh, Championship Sunday and the big game coming up this week. And I'll give you some thoughts on that game a little bit later on. Um, you know, nothing that's groundbreaking that anyone hasn't already discussed and maybe give you my prediction for that. But, you know, I'm sure the NFL wanted a nice, calm, quiet, peaceful week in between Championship Sunday and Super Bowl Sunday. They wanted, you know, just to ease right into the the week of the big game out in L.A. and have the only real news to break would be a decision on Tom Brady or if there would be any new head coaching hirings. But the last thing that they wanted happened, and that was a controversy, a potential scandal, and a lawsuit to come down 
on Roger Goodell and the 31 owners of the NFL, mainly three franchises in particular, the Dolphins, the Giants, and the Denver Broncos, from one of their former, could be once again, head coaches, Brian Flores, who last week, ironically on February 1st, the first day of Black History Month, filed a class action lawsuit against the NFL over racial hiring practices. Uh, And this was submitted in the the U.S. District Court in the the Southern District of New York. Uh, And in it, he uh, lays down some uh, pretty heavy allegations against the NFL and uh, uh, three of its teams over the racial hiring practices he feels that have been in the league over the years. And let's face it, first off, I said it at the time, this guy should not have been fired by the Miami Dolphins. Something smelled uh, wrong coming out of Miami over that firing to begin with. And you've seen since he's been fired, his name has been dragged through the mud by the Miami Dolphins and uh, by the media down there. You know, reports about, you know, his relationship with Tua Tagovailoa and how, you know, he may have been uh, difficult to deal with by some members of that organization or coaching staff. You know, a, lo- a lot of things that probably, you know, you know, between this and the fact that with there being nine head coaching openings in this cycle, and so far seven of them. Um, have been filled none by him or any other truly black man. I know you know the 49ers hired a biracial man yesterday, but no one uh, um, whose skin is black. He finally uh, you know had it up to here and with some of the things he's had to deal with felt that, Now was the time. You know, people always ask, you know, when things come out, timing. You know, why now? Why do you wait till now to make a decision like this? Well, you look at some of these allegations that he's made, whether it be against the Dolphins and owner Stephen Ross claiming that Ross offered him a $100,000 bonus for each loss in the 2019 season, uh, uh, wanted to secure the worst record in the league that year. So he, um, Flores is claiming that Ross offered him a hundred grand um, for each loss that they would have that year, and when he uh, didn't comply with that, and they actually started winning games after that 0-7 start. Ross uh, reportedly uh, was not pleased with him for worsening their drafts draft position. Although they were still in position in that draft to take Justin Herbert, they chose to go with Tua instead, and that has proven to be 
a bad choice on their part. Ross has come out and denied that, as you would expect most billionaire owners to do. Flores would go on to make allegations against the New York Giants, who, you know, a couple of weeks ago, it seemed like were very hot on the trail for Brian Flores, would end up hiring Brian Dayball. And as we see in this lawsuit, Flores thought, as of about two weeks ago, he was going to get this job based off text messages that he received from his former boss, if you want to call him that, or um, the coaching tree he comes from, Bill Belichick, and would come to realize that Belichick mistakenly sent those text messages to him when the whole time those text messages were intended for Brian Dable. Belichick telling him, that it, he was a lock to get the Giants head coaching job. And then uh, Flores, after reading through the text, wrote back to him and asked, are you, tr- are you t- sure you're texting me or are you trying to text Dayball? And that's when Belichick realized that he made a big boo-boo and texted the wrong person. The, the question here is, though, were those text messages sent before Brian Dayball's interview and before Brian Flores' interview or were they sent after their first interviews? Because remember, a lot of these guys got not just first interviews but second interviews with the Giants as is a common practice uh, with NFL teams. And the Giants have come out to deny this. um, And I'll read you part of uh, their denial quote. The specific claims against the Giants and Mr. Flores' allegations about the legitimacy of his candidacy for our head coaching position are disturbing and simply false. They would talk about how they were impressed with him, but uh, would go on to choose uh, Brian Dayball, who I think a lot of us thought was the favorite to get that job from the beginning based on his previous relationship with the new head, the new general manager, Joe Chion, um, in their time uh, with uh, the Buffalo Bills. But still, these are pretty uh, damning stuff to come out against a franchise. And, you know, I'm not just going to back off here and, and act like, oh, you can just take the Giants at their word. Remember, this is the same franchise uh, with the same owner that, until they got publicly shamed into doing so, we're willing to keep Josh Brown uh, around and allow him to fly to Europe for a game in London uh, with them about six years ago. So until you know that we get a resolution in this, they shouldn't just be taken off the hook and uh, trusted at their word with what they're saying. And the third team that... Dayball would, or excuse me, Flores uh, would uh, uh, make allegations against here were the Denver Broncos alleging that his interview with them back in 2019 when he had yet to be a head coach in this league was a sham 
claiming that general manager John Elway and CEO Joe Ellis uh, showed up looking as if they had been drinking heavily the night before, claimed that they were an hour late, and uh, uh, they looked like they were completely uh, uh, dissevalent uh, through the entire interview. Remember, the Broncos would eventually go on to hire Vic Fangio as their head coach, who they fired after this past season. All three of these teams have come out and denied these allegations, but as you would expect. But personally, I'm hoping that Brian Flores sees these through. Th sees this through because it's clear that he's not looking for money in this. You know, he would put out a statement last week, quote, God has gifted me with special talent to coach the game of football, but the need for change is bigger than my personal goals. In making the decision to file the class action lawsuit complaint today, I understand that I may be risking coaching the game I love and that has done so much for me in my family. I hope, uh, my hope is that by standing up against uh, systemic uh, racism in the NFL, others will join me uh, to ensure positive change can be made for generations. And you've heard other people come out and uh, uh, speak up. Other former he head coaches come out speak up uh, this past week, uh, such as Hugh Jackson. Because remember, a class action lawsuit, that opens it up and allows others to join uh, uh, later on if uh, they... Uh, feel the need to do so. And let's face it, this is, while I have always been someone who says in any walk of life, hire the best person for the job, no matter race, gender, um, background, no matter their experience level, because sometimes, you know, you, know, you, you get the best person for a job who has less experience than someone who's been in the profession for five to 10 years. You know, take for a example, you know, with the Pittsburgh Steelers, years, 15 years ago, they were planning to hire someone other than Mike Tomlin. They brought him in just to comply with a, a rule that, they created and set the foundation for in the NFL. And it's turned out to do wonders for them. They haven't had a losing season since Tomlin took over. And they've been to two Super Bowls. And he's got them through some tough times um, when you know they didn't have Ben Roethlisberger. When they had uh, injury issues to deal with. They have always been in the mix. Hell, and you've seen occasions where teams took guys that we thought were too young for the job. You know, take, for example, uh, this Super Bowl. Sean McVay, Sean McVay wasn't even 30 years old, and he uh, got the job as the St. Louis Rams head coach. And now he's going to his second Super Bowl in five years. So I've never... Uh, I've always said, hire who you feel is best. But we do have a problem when it comes to head coaching hirings in this sport, especially a sport when you look at it and, set, and see that 70% 70 of the sport 
is black. But out of the 32 teams, you don't have, you have one minority owner, that being Shad Khan in Jacksonville. And of the 30 other owners, because remember the Packers are owned by their fan base, uh, the, all of them are older, rich, white men. There's only one team, the aforementioned Pittsburgh Steelers, um, with Mike Tomlin that has a, a a black head coach. Only three teams that have a a black quarterback, which, you know, fair or unfair, traditionally, you have not seen a lot of black slash African-American quarterbacks have a truly long uh, lifespan at, at the position, um, whether it be through injuries or through poor performance. Uh, you have four teams with black offensive coordinators, and uh, after hirings this past offseason, you're now up to six teams with black general managers. So if you have six teams with black GMs, how is it that you don't have at least five or six teams that have a black head coach? And the fact that we had nine head coaching openings in this cycle, seven of them filled by um, um, men who are white, although one being uh, considered biracial uh, with uh, Mike McDaniels hired down in uh, Miami yesterday. It's not like we don't have real, true, good candidates that are black, that are African-American, that either deserve that opportunity, like Eric Bieniemy, who continues to go through these coaching cycles and, you know, Time after time after time gets skipped over. I mean, how many times has he been interviewed the last three years alone? 15, 16 times? And you, you look at his predecessors, uh, Doug Peterson got hired and won a Super Bowl with the Eagles. Now has gotten his second head coaching opportunity. And Matt Nagy, who was awful with the Chicago Bears, pretty much had the the same amount of control of when he was with the Chiefs as did Biennemi under Andy Reid. He got an opportunity with the Bears, but Biennemi can't get a, a sniff of the can here. He can't get anything more than an interview. I mean, it can't be just that, oh, the Chiefs have played deep into the postseason each year, and these teams have not wanted to wait around until after the Super Bowl to hire their head coach. And that's not to mention some of the, the you know coordinators that deserve a second opportunity. What that were in bad spots, whether it be like a Todd Bowles, or you look at Leslie Frazier, who you know you look at his resume, what he's done with the Bills as their defensive coordinator. Not to mention the fact that he took the Minnesota Vikings to the Super Bowl 
or to the playoffs, excuse me, they, they only wish they could reach the Super Bowl. He took the Minnesota Vikings to the playoffs with Christian Ponder, of all people, as his quarterback. Christian Ponder, who barely lasted in this sport beyond his rookie contract, was one of the worst first-round quarterbacks ever taken. Not to mention Lovey Smith, who's been to a Super Bowl with the Bears. He's getting interviewed with the Texans uh, now because seemingly they're running out of options. Or how about Jim Caldwell? Jim Caldwell, who went to a Super Bowl with the Colts, uh, got fired, did a pretty good job with the Detroit Lions, had you know three out of four winning seasons there. Um Seemed to get fired for reasons beyond football. You don't even hear his name get brought up in any of uh, these conversations. So it, it's it's just, you know, it's ridiculous the way uh, some of uh, this is handled. And I mean, it, it, it's, it really is something that, you know, as... A white person here, I, I sit here and I I don't know what the solution is. You know, I, as I said yesterday, I didn't watch the Pro Bowl, but I watched some of the pregame coverage on ESPN. And Burger McFarlane brought up a good point here because he was talking about how you have 31 owners in this sport, 30 of them are white. And, you know, that... It seems that the same excuse is brought up each and every single time that, oh, I hired someone that I was comfortable with. Well, there should be some kind of thing set up where during the offseason, after the the coaching uh, hiring is done, you know, during the offseason, where you have some kind of get-together with what they identify as the top 20 or 25 up-and-coming coordinators or coaches in this sport that have future aspirations to be a head coach, where you just get together and you get to know these uh, these people, whether it be white, black, Hispanic. Hell, we even see that there's some female coaches um, uh, on uh, cert- in certain organizations that are, are working their way up. Maybe they even they have aspirations to be uh, a head coach or a top coordinator um, in this sport someday, and just get to know these these people. S- stop with the the excuse that oh I hired that someone that I'm comfortable with and broaden your horizons, bro- expand your horizons to beyond your comfortability zone because sometimes you go beyond that. You find the best overall candidate. And like I said, I hope Brian Flores sees this out. Doesn't just agree to some kind of payout with the NFL and with these teams that he has um, made these alleged allegations against. Because then if you get into court, then you open the books, you open, you unseal all of the dirty underhanded business that a lot of people have believed has been going on in the NFL over the years beyond just the sexual um, um, misconduct allegations that have been alleged against the 
formerly known as Washington football team. Now, the, maybe there's some other things that the NFL does not want let out there. Maybe the, this is just that can of worms that gets opened and we truly get to the bottom of why the NFL, why the on-field product is one of the greatest things we can ever see. But off the field, the way they've run the sport, just overall sucks. All right. A lot I want to get to uh, through the next about 40, 45 minutes or so here. Give give you some thoughts on Tom Brady, some other things uh, going on outside of the Super Bowl. Give you quick preview uh, with uh, Super Bowl 56 as well coming up this Sunday. Some thoughts on the NBA I'll mix in as we go on here. So a lot I want to uh, get to uh, throughout this podcast. Uh, glad you could, could uh, either join me through the uh, live feeds this week or listening through the podcast. Whatever it be, please kick back, relax, put your feet up if you feel like it, and continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. Now, with the off-season getting started for certain players and franchises, so does begin the rumor mill. So does begin, oh, where is certain players going to end up? Where are their next uh, destinations, their new locations? And, of course, the biggest uh, fish amongst all of them, the biggest name that we'll be hearing out there a lot is Aaron Rodgers because after the Packers' abrupt end to their season – it's been widely speculated, especially going back to last year, that he's going to end up somewhere else after uh, likely winning his uh, third MVP uh, at the NFL Honors later this week. Well, the latest rumor has come out, and that's that Aaron Rodgers and his fiance have purchased a property just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. 
Say it. There you go, everyone. He's going to be a Tennessee Titan. Really? We're, we're, we're going to do this again. Have, haven't we been here before? This, this feels like the repeat, you know, of, you know, a bad movie or the, like the end of a date that just won't end. Because remember two, 10 years ago when Peyton Manning was a free agent, all the, the rave and speculation was that, oh, Peyton Manning was going to end up a Miami Dolphin because he has a house down in Miami. Didn't matter if he met with the Titans or the Cardinals, he was going to be a Miami Dolphin. He ended up signing with the Denver Broncos. Then, to, let's get even more ridiculous here. About eight years ago, Tom Brady and his wife Giselle bought the entire 48th floor on one mansion tower, an apartment complex in Midtown Manhattan. So that told people one thing. Tom Brady is going to finish his career as a New York Giant. And neither one of those things happened. I mean, when are we going to stop speculating on things based on where someone lives? I mean, newsflash, people, these guys have more money than most of us will ever see in our lifetimes. A lot of these guys are going to have multiple houses, going to have, you know, off-season houses or vacation places, maybe even in different countries. It doesn't mean that, oh, they're going to suddenly make camp there and join that area's local uh, professional sports team. I mean, you know, we've seen this across you know, many different sports as well. You know, speculation, of, of course, the, the greatest one in recent memory, LeBron James and his decision, the fact that he had uh, the, the decision announcement at a boys and girls club 15 minutes away from the New York Knicks practice facility, which now has come off as more of a giant FU toward the New York Knicks franchise. So, please, I'm sure in time, we'll find out Rodgers' decision, whether he keeps playing, whether he's going to stay in Green Bay, or he, they decide to a, a, a breakup and he moves on to um, another place, a place that he feels is more ready to win that second Super Bowl that he has been longing to add to his uh, legacy. But stop. Stop making speculation based off of where someone lives. Really, it's it's becoming a tiring, nauseating act. Of course, another place that people have speculated he could end up is uh, in Tampa Bay, who they now need a quarterback. And listen, it's just my luck that Tom Brady would make the announcement on his decision to retire the day after. I record keeping it sports with M3. I, it was this time last week that I'm yelling at the media, telling them, hey, can we get all of our facts straight? Can we not just rush to saying that, oh, someone's retired, someone's done before they make an, an official announcement? And, you know, he, he talked about this on his uh his let his podcast with Jim Gray and Larry Fitzgerald last Monday night uh, called "Let's Go." They 
uh, you can hear on SiriusXM every Monday at 7. He's talked about that he had not made a decision about retirement and said that he was disappointed about his potential retirement uh, that it took over the weekend of games and there was no timetable for an announcement. Yeah, because there was... There was no timetable because he wasn't. He wanted to be in charge of it. He wanted to have the final say on when that and how that announcement would be made. And he decided to go the route that you know Tim Duncan did. You know Tim Duncan put out a press release, didn't have a full-on press conference saying goodbye. Tom Brady decided to um, put together something to put on his Instagram page saying goodbye to football, uh, thanking his teammates and coaches uh, with the Buccaneers for the time he's had the last two years. And, and listen, people are making a big deal of it that he didn't acknowledge uh, the Patriots, didn't acknowledge Bill Belichick. Are we forgetting that two years ago when he left New England, that he put together a full letter uh, saying goodbye, thanking Kraft, Belichick, and the Patriots organization for the 20 years he had with them. So let's stop making such a big deal uh, about that, that, oh, Tom Brady in some way is throwing shade at the Patriots. Oh, no, no, he's not as in love with Kraft and, and company anymore as he once said he is. He already said his goodbyes to him. He... You know, this was more so saying, um, talking about his love and his dedication to the sport and saying what um, is leading him to make this decision. And that's that, you know, we knew this all along, that his family was going to play a big part in it. Now, when I say that, I think it's more so Giselle than anything else. While he probably misses uh, truly misses that time that he could spend with his kids, you know, going to their sports practices, driving them to school, whatnot, you know, uh, potential family vacations that they've missed out on. You got to believe that his kids are sitting there uh, uh, thinking, yeah, I get dad uh, back all, all the time, but I don't get to brag as much anymore that my dad is legendary quarterback Tom Brady because it's more fun to brag about it while he's the active living legend than it is post-career about the GOAT. Now, Giselle, now he clearly uh, knew that Giselle didn't want him to risk any more injuries, something that outside of the torn ACL back in, what, 2008? He's been able to avoid injuries for the most part. He's had you know, little nicks, bumps, and bruises like everyone else along the way. But outside that one season has been pretty much an Ironman at this sport. Even for being not the most mobile quarterback in the world. And listen, this sport, you know, is going to miss him. Because he gave us 22 years of greatness. Greatness that I hope you, even if you are the most diehard of diehard Jet fan like myself, or Bills fan, or Dolphins fan, as much as he made 
our lives miserable for all those years, you can't help but love, appreciate, and respect what he did during his career. Yeah, people are going to bring up the the scandals with Spygate, which, you know, he probably knew something about, even though it happened when he was such a young player and still trying to establish himself in, um, in the NFL. It did provide him certain advantages, thanks to uh, Belichick and company. And he, we know he had a big role in Deflategate. His, his equipment guy didn't just go rogue when it came to deflating those footballs. And how he handled that and the investigation behind that wasn't great. But for the most part, there was never there was never any off-the-field um, controversies with him where uh, made him look like a, a bad person or a bad human being. He never was involved in anything as far as domestic violence or uh, uh, mistreatment of children or animals. He, for the most part, was very much a model citizen that, you know, people only hated because he was the best quarterback in the sport and because he was a great-looking guy um, with a uh, uh, supermodel wife. He lived the perfect life that all of us would trade many things to live, and he deserves our appreciation, our respect, and, you know, God bless you, Tom Brady. Whatever you plan on doing next in this life, much respect to you. Now, I've heard a lot of people speculate that maybe he would take a year off and then come back at 46 just as kind of a spite season. That remains to be seen. I, I now If he's truly giving up the dedication that it took, you know, going to bed at 830, you know, not e- e- eating anything like as far as desserts that didn't have anything plant or vegetable based in them and going through his whole TB12 um, um, workouts and mechanisms uh, to prepare. If he's, you know, you know, truly giving all of that up, I think. I think it's for good. I I would be very surprised if we're sitting here a year, year and a half from now and talking about a Tom Brady comeback. I mean, it it would be great. It would be awesome. But I do think number 12 has left the playing field for the final time. And he leaves the greatest winner in NFL history, seven-time champion, accomplishments that no one with how the salary cap is set up and how uh, you, you never know with injuries, no one will ever be able to match or replicate. Now, I mentioned some of the uh, head coaching decisions uh, were made over this uh, last couple of days. You know, the, the Vikings are waiting for the Super Bowl to be over so they can officially name all uh, Rams offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell as their new head coach. You uh, saw a, a couple of other hirings uh, you know, with Jacksonville. Jacksonville, the, you know, up until last week, it was speculated that they were going to uh, hire uh, Bengals, I mean, Buccaneers 
offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich, who's you know we all know him as a Jacksonville Jaguars legend, if you want to call him that. But as it, it would turn out, um, Byron left, which pulled himself from consideration for the job because he didn't want to work with Trent Baalke, who, you know, I, I don't get if you're Shad Khan, why you would throw all your trust behind Trent Baalke. Because Trent Baalke does have a little bit of a, a sketchy past as a front office executive when it comes to his time with the uh, San Francisco 49ers. Remember, he forced Jim, essentially forced Jim Harbaugh out there, winning a power struggle there after what was a successful four years with Jim Harbaugh. Remember, the first three years under Jim Harbaugh, they went to the NFC Championship game. They went to a, a Super Bowl and came a, a drive away from beating uh, Flacco and the Ravens in the, that infamous uh, game. And Harbaugh had nothing but success there. He was 44-19-1 over his four years, and his final year went 8-8. Eight and eight. Yet still... Now, Balky somehow won a power struggle there, although he would end up losing his job uh, uh, not too uh, uh, long after that. So if you're, you know, if you're Shad Khan, when Trump Balky's really been there only for a couple of years, you haven't had any success to speak of, why are you going to have yourself so locked in with this guy? Now, he, he would end up making a very good choice um, as their new head coach with Doug Peterson uh, being brought in there. Doug Peterson, another guy who I never understood his firing when it came to uh, getting fired by the Eagles a couple of years ago. I mean, the, the only worst decision that the city of Philadelphia has made in recent memory than firing, uh, than Doug Peterson getting fired uh, by the Eagles is the creation of Gritty, the mascot for the Philadelphia Flyers. I mean, please, that, that thing's an abomination. But Doug Peterson had a, a pretty solid run in his five years with the Eagles. They they were a, a successful franchise, you know, 42-37 and one in five seasons, went to the playoffs three times, and they won the Super Bowl uh, four years ago with Nick Foles when they were an underdog in every one of their playoff games, including uh, when they upset the Patriots and Tom Brady in uh, Super Bowl 52. So now, he definitely deserved a second opportunity, second crack at it, because he really did not fail at his first uh, spot. The guy that I thought was going to get a second opportunity, though, and you can never quite figure this guy out because it always seems like he's looking for that next uh, spot, that next job, is Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh, who last week was interviewing with the Vikings on National Signing Day before deciding to stay at Michigan because, uh, no, as, as he put it, while the Vikings are a first-class organization, first-class people, they didn't match his enthusiasm, which... No, not many people are going to match the emotional energy of a Jim Harbaugh. But, uh, no, if you're Michigan, how can you trust Jim Harbaugh? 
Now, it always... Now, he said that this was a one-time thing, this flirtation uh, with the NFL. Please, every year we hear his name pop up uh, when uh, certain places have a, a spot open. You know, the Colts years back when Andrew Luck was still playing. The Bears popped up once upon a time. Now the Vikings here. I, how how much longer are you going to take this guy for his word? I mean, he's had a, let's not forget, he's, excuse me, he's had a good run at Michigan, but it hasn't been all, you know, you know bouquets and roses uh, like you know many people in Ann Arbor thought it would be. In seven seasons, he's 61 and 24. But he's one in five in in bowl games, zero oh, and two in in uh, New Year's Six bowl games, including getting blown out by Georgia in the Orange Bowl this past year, and he's one in six against Ohio State. You know, you have to have more success than this. As, as great a ho- head coach as he has been on every level, you've got to have more success than this at one place to. Be taken not only be taken at your word, but to be telling your program that you're going back to that you're now Michigan for life, especially when you're hearing reports out now that multiple assistant coaches that are on your staff either are pissed off and have left because of this decision, or are now looking for your way out. So, no, Michigan, be very, very careful, because he may say this is a one-time flirtation, but just wait till next year, when there's another two or three uh, organizations looking for a new head coach. Guarantee someone, someone will come calling and asking Jim on his interests then. Then we'll see if it's truly just a one-time flirtation. All right, going to take a break here, come back on the other side, turn my attention to the NBA. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. So the NBA trade deadline is coming up this Thursday at 3 o'clock. And you don't usually see a lot of seismic changes 
seismic changes as far as trades are concerned when it comes to someone, you know, such as, you know, the, the biggest trade I can remember uh, at a trade deadline was years back when the Knicks got Carmel Anthony. I don't think you're going to be seeing anything on that level with a star still in their prime getting moved. But there was a one very respectable trade made yesterday when the Cavaliers acquired Karis LeVert from uh, the Indiana Pacers, giving up uh, Ricky Rubio, a first-round pick, and two second-round picks. And for many of you, you you know that Karis LeVert has always been a a favorite of mine, always been a guy that I've been a fan of uh, because he's a guy that overcame a lot of injuries and turned himself into a very respectable NBA player um, in his time with both my Brooklyn Nets and the Indiana Pacers. Played at times at a borderline all-star level, but there have been you know, some circumstances that have prevented him from reaching that true level. But overall is a a solid player, a guy that, you know, you you can definitely have as one of your top scoring options on, on a team. And now he goes to a Cleveland Cavaliers team that I've said for weeks is the most surprising team in the sport because they came into the year, you're thinking that, oh, this is going to be another lottery year for them. You expected them, oh, they'd be better, um, especially uh, with, uh, you know, a rookie in uh, Darius Garland and a bunch of young players on this team looking to take that next step, especially, uh, you know, my guy Jared Allen there, who's, um, you know, been a machine in the paint for them. And then, you know, making moves such as, you know, acquiring Rajon Rondo as the year went on, you know, getting somewhat of a resurgence season uh, by uh, Kevin Love. And when he's been available for them, Colin Sexton uh, playing uh, pretty well. But I did not expect that we'd be sitting here uh, at this time, you know, over 50 games into the season and talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers as the number four seed in the Eastern Conference. And, you know, with 28 games remaining in the schedule, it remains to be seen if they're for real, if they're going to, you know, I think they'll make the playoffs, but if they're going to finish in a top four seed. But what a move like this does is it gives confidence for a young team, a team that, you know, outside of, Kevin Love, outside of Rajon Rondo, these guys have never experienced this. These guys have never been through, not just, some of these guys haven't been through the true grind of an 82-game season, but also haven't been through a winning scenario, haven't been in that winner's mindset yet in the NBA. They've just been constantly talked about as, developing and building and a process 
Well, now this sends a message to them saying, hey, guys, you know, we're playing well. Let's add to it. We, we think we can do some things th- this year beyond just all oh, being a fun, cute, cuddly little story. And you now this could provide an extra little boost, an extra little spark to this Cavaliers franchise that, like I said, has played surprisingly well and has it's been the most relevant they've been since LeBron James left there three years ago. Now, a couple of years ago, my Brooklyn Nets were that fun, cute, cuddly story when uh, they had that surprising 42 and 40 season. And that led to no free agents starting them to take them seriously. No, with Cleveland, no, it was once said by Joe Kim Noah, what's so good about Cleveland? Really, who who wants to go there? But when you build a culture of winning, that can be eye-popping for players, for prospective free agents and say, hmm, maybe that's somewhere I should give a, an opportunity, a, a look at when I'm have an opportunity to be a free agent this summer or next. And that's what the Nets did a couple of years ago um, by going 42 and 40, reaching the playoffs as a six seed. Well, since then, expectation, of course, has changed with the signings of Durant and Irving. And then last year, trading uh, for James Harden, where it went from being a playoff team to now let's win championship or championships. And so far, that has not happened, mainly because of you know injuries and off-the-court uh, choices made by Kyrie Irving. I mean, you look at when... That big three has been together. They are 16 or 13 and three in 16 games, including the postseason. Problem is they have not been on the floor together much, whether it be injuries each of the last two years to Durant, uh, hamstring injuries that have hindered Harden this year and last, although some have questioned the severity of this year's injury, and then the personal choices of Kyrie Irving. And that even led the Nets to starting the season off without Kyrie Irving until they needed bodies due to injuries and uh, them battling uh, COVID issues, much like the rest of the league did in mid-December, early January. They've gone now from being, at Christmas time, the one seed in the Eastern Conference and looking like the clear favorites to now a team that has to just avoid the play-in scenario, scenario. Because after starting off 21-8, and eight, they have since gone 8-16. and 16. They are 6-12 and 12 since Kyrie Irving has returned. And you know, not all of this is Irving's fault, but you, know, you look at the way this team has played as of recently – They've lost eight straight, including all five games on that West Coast trip that I said they had to win at least three of the five. Didn't even come close. 
blown leads in some of these games, including a, blowing, I know it was the second half of back-to-back, but losing to the Kings last week, are you kidding me? And getting one of the worst performances you're going to see from both Harden and Irving in the second half of that game was just disgusting to watch. And and what makes it even worse is the crappy as hell defense that this team is playing. You know, that that's the thing that concerns me the most right now. Not not just the injuries, because most of these guys, you figure they're going to be back before the playoffs and that they're going to be able to avoid the play-in. But the defense this team has played, worse. it's getting worse and worse by month. You know, it, Now this month, after allowing, what was it, 110 points a game um, in January, they're averaging so far through four games in February, 120 points allowed per game. They, you know, they're not just losing these games; they're getting smoked. They're getting their ass kicked. You know, it's the four games in a row. It's the three out of four. Excuse me. It's the rare occasion of you score 100 points, but you still get blown out by the opposition. And I know that they've been without Durant for. Uh, the last, you know, what, 12 games. They're without, they've been without LaMarcus Aldridge and uh, Nicholas Claxton in nine of the last 18 games. Harden's missed two of the, the last two games, including five of the last eight. Uh, Kyrie couldn't play in two of these last eight games due to them being within the confines of New York City. I think what's going unreported as far as big losses for them is Joe Harris because with Joe Harris healthy uh you have one of the best three point shooters in the sport then you uh have him in your starting lineup you can bring Patty Mills off the bench as a scoring option where they're not getting much production from right now anyway and w- without Harris it's forcing not just Mills to play but you're starting guys that you want to expect to be in your star lap. You wouldn't expect to have much of a role on this team at all. And they're leading through 53 games. They are leading the league by far with the most different starting lineups uh, this season so far with, I believe yesterday was their 28th different starting lineup so far this year. Half those guys, you wouldn't have even been able to pick out of a lineup before the season started. I mean, it's, quite frankly, it's embarrassing and shameful the way that they've played right now. I I can't, for the love of me, in all honesty and all fairness, just make injuries the only excuse here with this Nets team because it's beyond just injuries. It's lack of effort and it's at times the way this team was put together because you know Aldridge is was the really only big besides Nicholas Claxon. And with both of them gone, you don't have a true center on this team. And let's look at you got six games before the All-Star break. Durant's not expected back before then. There's not e- there's not even really a layup before then other than when you play the Kings a week from tomorrow. And that game is going to be without Kyrie because it will be in Brooklyn. Hell, four of these next six games, you're going to be 
or three of these, one, two, three, yeah, four of these next six games, you're going to be without Kyrie. You look at Tuesday, you're playing the Celtics um, at home. Who, who knows if Harden will be able to play. Then you got back-to-back road games against the Wizard at, and the Heat. Then you come home for the Kings on Valentine's Day. Two days later, you're playing the Knicks at the Garden. And because that's in New York City, Kyrie can't play that game. And then the next night, final game before the All-Star break, you play the Celtics again. And you're once again without Kyrie Irving. So four of six games, you're without Kyrie. Who knows of Harden's um, the availability. Harris, you know... You're without him. Who knows if he even comes back this season because he may need a second um, surgery on his ankle. And all of this going on while there's speculation about James Harden's future where you have differing reports, whether it be Friday, the Athletic reporting that um, not only the Sixers are pursuing uh, Harden before the deadline, but the Nets are open to engage in it. And then Saturday, you have Harden telling Durant and management that he wants to be there and that he he wants to stay in Brooklyn long term. And you have Nash coming out to talk to reporters yesterday saying that uh, he wants to be here and that he's not going to be traded before Thursday. So you you really don't know who or what to believe uh, on all of uh, this. It's just... Quite frankly, it's a disaster right now that no one's going to have any sympathy for you on this one, nor does should anyone when you have a what was thought to be star-studded team put together like this. So the, the uh, all-star rosters uh, were announced the other day as far as the drafting pool is concerned and once again for like the third or fourth year in a row it's going to be LeBron and Durant as the captains of these teams was a little bit surprised that James Harden made it in the east no surprise that no second Lakers um, made it considering they're having a slog of a season and they struggled to beat the Knicks in overtime the other day and now you're you have people debating back and forth whether the biggest story was LeBron coming back after missing five games and putting up a triple-double or how bad it looked that they had to um, go to overtime with the Knicks and Westbrook was so bad that he was kept off the court for that overtime. In general, you know, I have no true problem, overall problems with the the starting fives that were voted for in the All-Star game outside of Andrew Wiggins. That feels a lot like, remember about five years ago, the Zaza Pachulia incident that we almost ran into where the Warriors fans were stuffing the ballot box. I mean, if you were going to have a second um, Warrior voted into the starting lineup, it would probably have to be Draymond Green because he's been their second best player, even with dealing with some recent injury in- issues of his own. But you figure with Green probably missing the All-Star game, that will lead to whoever in the West you think was a snub making it. The, you know, you know when it comes to the East, 
Only real problem I have is if you're taking a second buck, I would probably pick Drew Holiday over Chris Middleton. But, you know, one of these five or six snubs, whether it be Pascal Siakam, Holiday, Jared Allen, uh, Bradley Beal, LaMelo Ball, uh, Jalen Brown will probably make it in Durant's spot. But in general, you know, the, the NBA, you know, all of these teams can take a, a lesson from the NBA. They do it best when it comes to their all-star weekend, whether it be putting the festivities on Saturday night or their all-star game. You know, the way they've changed the all-star game and put, you know, charitable things online, and it has made it quite entertaining, has made for a much better product, much more competitive product, rather than the video game circus that it used to be. All right, going to take one last break here, come back, finish things up for this week in Keeping It Sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. You know, I haven't talked about them in a while because there hasn't been much news or headlines concerning them. But we are about a week and a half away from what is supposed to be the start of Major League Baseball spring training. And in all likelihood, it's not going to start on time. I figured that from the beginning, maybe a week delay or or something like that. But now I'm getting concerned about the start of the season because now you're heading in the direction that I did not want them to head in. And that's them acting like belligerent little children arguing over money. The last week you had where it's everything seemed like, excuse me, everything seemed like it was he- heading in a good direction. Everything seemed fine. You had them in rooms negotiating. There wasn't much noise coming out of it other than, you know, they were in pretty much lockstep agreement as far as rules, drug testing, the addition of the designated hitter in the National League. Everything seemed fine. But then, of course, had to come up the discussion of money. You know, talking about they were in agreement that there should be some kind of pool for the top 30 young players when it comes to pre-arbitration young players. 
and the the top 30 in war uh, that uh, they can be paid earlier in their career. And there was a large gap between the pool. The the players wanted over $100 million. The owners were offering only $10 million uh, for that pool. Then there was discussions over the luxury tax. The players wanted that raised as high as like $245 uh, million. And then when the players presented a... Pr- a proposal. The owners started last week saying that they would have a counter proposal, and then it turning into where they're not going to have a counter proposal. Instead, they're seeking of uh, a a federal uh, government official to be a third party moderator or mediate uh, the proceedings, realizing that it's starting to get late early in this off season, and the players are refusing to it. Listen. I'm not choosing a side here because I think both of you look like um, a-holes during this. Just get this done. You know, you realize, as I said before, there hasn't been much attention to this because no one gives a damn that you're in a lockout right now. You realize that. Because of the excitement that we've had with the NFL playoffs and the fact that we've had a pretty good season in the NBA with surprises like the the Cavaliers or the Heat being uh, the one seed in the East, Joel Embiid's MVP caliber season, uh, the fact that these the Lakers and the Brooklyn Nets have been um, walking soap operas each and every day, and then the human highlight rule reel that continues to be John Morant, no one gives a damn that you guys have been in a lockout. We really have not missed you that much. So you want to you want to continue to lose your fan base by acting like stuck-up, snobby little babies? Be my guest. Otherwise, stop acting like children, act like sensible adults, and get over yourselves and get, get this done. Because like I said with the 2020 season when you were acting... Um, um, like spoiled babies and arguing how to start that season when it came to financials and how many games to actually play. Arguing about money during a global pandemic when people are dying and losing their jobs is the most ridiculous thing that billionaires and millionaires could ever do. It makes you look extremely small and petty. So get the hell over yourselves. Baseball and your players association. Oh, by the way, if you didn't hear, uh, the Washington football team, they are now going to be known as the Commanders. That was announced uh, midway through last week. And with all the um, attention given to Tom Brady and Brian Flores, I I don't know how many of you actually uh, kept track on that. But yeah, the Washington football team has a new name. The Commanders. Not the greatest name in the world. I probably uh, would have gone with Warriors or uh, Warhogs or, you know, something uh, along those lines. But, I mean, it's better than, you know, going on your favorite sports app and seeing the football team each week. All right. So, coming up this Sunday is the big game. Super Bowl Sunday out in Santa Clara or out at SoFi, excuse me, in LA, uh, second year in a row that you're going to have a team hosting 
the Super Bowl. The the Rams are technically going to be considered the road team in this, but they're not going to have to change locker rooms. Uh, the, they'll only have to wear their visiting uh, uniforms in their home stadium, which will be kind of weird. But the, the, the weirder thing is how the Bengals aren't even traveling to this until tomorrow. I guess maybe they're trying to avoid some of the the media hoopla, uh, the craziness that is Super Bowl week. Although with how there's so many uh, rules with this pandemic, uh, the, you don't get the the full grand uh, spectacle that was Radio Row and Media Week that you're normally uh, used to. I know, but you 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 look at it from a Rams. Uh, perspective though the one big concern is whether they're going to be able to get uh tight end tyler higby back although in the uh in the championship game uh kendall uh blanton played pretty well you know uh tyler higby's been their safety net at uh tight end all year long uh he left to with what they're calling is an mcl sprain and they still think that there's an outside shot that he could play in this game. But for the most part, both of these uh, teams are coming into this game relatively healthy, relatively 100%. The, you know, the Bengals, uh, CJ uh, Uzama, uh, saying that he intends to play. He's doing everything he can to make sure he's healthy. Remember, he was helped off the field uh, against uh, the Chiefs, and he's hoping uh, that two weeks is enough to get him back on the the playing field with also suffering an, an MCL sprain. Well, that remains to be seen. I, I'm thinking both of those injuries are probably going to be game day decision kind of things. I wouldn't expect either one of them to practice much, but you know, this is a fun Super Bowl on paper. The 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 Bengals, like they've been most of this postseason, are viewed as the underdog. But they've been going through this postseason with this why not us mindset that you gotta love. If you if you're a fan of any of these downtrodden teams, you gotta love uh, the underdog um, mindset of the Cincinnati Bengals. I know I know there's some people that are already turned off by the cocky, arrogant mindset of Joe Burrow, but no, he wins. He he's backed it up so far in his NFL c- career and. That's a mindset that you need when you're trying to overcome a long history of being one of the worst teams in the, the sport. And it add to it, now he's got he's got as many weapons around him now as he did when he was winning a, a national championship um, in college, including his favorite weapon from college in Jamar Chase. The you know the problem is. The Rams, they can match them with those weapons. They've got the best receiver in the sport in Cooper Cup. Uh, you know, they've 
got solid running backs, not great running backs. No, not no one that could tear the game apart like Joe Mixon, but Cam Akers and his miraculous comeback this year is one of the um, greatest things that you're ever going to see. A, a guy coming back from Achilles injury after just five or six months, it, it was a, a miracle given by the football gods uh, to add um, to that backfield along with Sony Michelle. Hell, Odell Beckham has been a a blessing in disguise for them because you thought he was going to be the third or fourth wide receiver there um, uh, behind uh, Woods and Van Jefferson, but he's turned out to be an important role for them because of uh, the injury to uh, Robert Woods. And then you you take the fact that you know the Rams, you know they've gone all in. They've gone all in the last couple of years. The fact that they don't have a first-round pick until 2024 shows you how all-in and committed they are to winning a championship. Not just any championship, but championship this year with the addition of Odell Beckham, with get going and getting Von Miller to add to what was an already imp- impressive pass rush uh, with uh, 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 Floyd and with uh, uh, the greatness that is Aaron Donald. This team is fully committed and add in trading a year ago for Matthew Stafford, trading all those first-round picks, trading a quarterback that you had went to the Super Bowl with in Jarek Goff. And Matthew Stafford, a guy that people thought couldn't win the big game, has done nothing but show up and show out in this uh, postseason. This, on paper has a chance, you know, we talk about all the time, you know, especially leading into last week, when you had the possibility of Chiefs-Rams and people were bringing up that exciting Monday night game they played about three or four years ago. This has a chance to be on that level. Only difference is we're getting it in the Super Bowl. Now, of course, you're going to have to deal with the awkwardness that is the first quarter of any Super Bowl. That is always the most awkward uh, quarter of any game played all year because both teams are trying to feel each other out. No one wants to make that first mistake. To me, you go into a game like this playing the way you've done things all year. Be aggressive. Take chances. Rather than wait for your opposition to bring it at you and figure them out, you come at them and and show them that, hey, we're here to play. We're not, we're not going to wait around for all the hoopla of the Super Bowl uh, to be over with. Yeah, we, bo- we both had the same one, uh, two weeks off. We both had the same bye week in between. We both know that there is no tomorrow from that. From this, for the winner, you have the seven months of exhilaration, joy, and happiness. For the loser, it's seven months of thinking of, damn, how do we get back here? But not just that; it, it it's a long road back because it's not like oh, all those other teams that you beat and overcame to get here just disappeared. The Chiefs, the Bills, aren't disappearing. The Ravens are going to be back next year. Now. We'll see what happens with the Buccaneers at their quarterback position. Same with the with uh, the Packers. 
But Aaron Rodgers is still going to be roaming around. Russell Wilson, you expect him, no matter where he ends up, to have some kind of resurgence uh, next year. And there's always the expectation of a, of a surprise team that comes out of nowhere that is you know, next year's Cincinnati Bengals. So getting back to this game next year, there are no guarantees. There are no, oh, we can, if, even if we lose this, we can always do it again next year. So that's why come out, be aggressive, sh- bring to the table everything that you've done in these last six months to make it to this point, to be the best team from your conference, representing them in the Super Bowl. That you know that that's the mistake I thought Sean McVay made the last time the Rams were here. They got too cute. They they tried to you know simplify things too much rather than just be the aerial attack that they had been all season long. So. You know, for Burrow, um, Zach Taylor and the Bengals, or McVay, Stafford, and the Rams, just stick true to who you are. That's the best chance you have of winning this game. Whether it's Stafford and fulfilling what has been a 12-year odyssey of people doubting you and saying that you couldn't couldn't uh, win the big one. Sean McVay, showing people why you were at one point the wonder kid and that head coach that everybody wanted to find their their own replica of or in the case of the Bengals with Zach Taylor and Joe Burrow and company showing that hey we're the new kid on the block we're not the same old Bengals we can win the big one we can do what you know the Bengals of the 80s weren't able to do you're no longer going to be talking about the Marvin Lewis, Andy Dalton-led why waste our time Cincinnati Bengals. It's a new era for us, and we can win in this big spot. No matter, See, what's great about this game for someone like me, I have no true rooting interest here. There's no... There's no team here that's a rival of my team there's no player on either one of these teams I really truly can't stand or will find insufferable winning a Super Bowl I mean we're gonna if the Rams win this Super Bowl we're gonna really find out if Odell Beckham has grown up or not because we remember how he acted when LSU won uh, the national championship two years ago and essentially they've distanced themselves from him since then but for the casual fan, for the fan that's got no rooting interest unless you're betting on the game, which I'm sure many people I know will be, you just hope for an overall classic, overall great game here. You know, my heart wants to say Cincinnati Bengals. My heart wants to see, you know, that story of the team that has never done it before, never been here before. But in my head, I'm thinking Rams because Stafford's got a lot to prove and you've got a defense led by Donald and Von Miller that just seems like men on a mission wanting to prove something and 
especially in the case of Aaron Donald, solidify his Hall of Fame career. So I'm going to go with the Rams here in a close game, going to pick them 30-24 to 24 to win Super Bowl 56. But no matter what, I'm just hoping we get an overall classic that we'll be talking about years from now and we will never ever forget and that my friends was keeping it sports when m3 for monday february 7th 2022 everyone have a great night have a great week enjoy super bowl 56 and i'll talk to you guys again same time next week until then peace out I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.